What's the single best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? A, an engaged board. B, low overhead. C, a dynamic executive director. Or D, none of the above. So what is the best sign that your nonprofit is thriving? Get the answer at thrivingnonprofit.org. That's thrivingnonprofit.org. So I don't quote Dwight Eisenhower often. Actually, I don't think I've ever really quote Dwight Eisenhower, but I do like this one quote of his a lot. Plans are useless, but planning is everything. I think that's really spot on. And it captures what's wrong about how we approach strategy work in the sector. As a traditional process, it can be costly, stressful, and just deeply draining for everyone on your board and staff who's involved. I wrote a piece for the Chronicle of Philanthropy. I think I called it something like strategic planning sucks the life out of everyone or something. But you're at the end of it, you're left with a really long document that sits on a shelf Or these days you can look up in the sky and find it in the forgotten folder in that cloud. Many people dread this process, and that makes me endlessly sad. Not only do I want you to see it differently, I think you have to. One of the keys to a thriving nonprofit is the ability to articulate where your organization will go by X period of time as a result of your focused planning efforts. And I'm not talking about a bigger infrastructure or simply growing by X percent. I'm talking about a vision. Your ability to paint a picture of that destination is critical to recruiting and retaining staff and board and your ability to build a big old army of engaged folks who want to go on that journey with you to that destination. So if it's so damn exciting for me, why does it feel so damn hard for you? It doesn't have to. Today, we offer an alternative, strategic visioning, an alternative to strategic planning that will leave you and your staff and board more aligned, more energized, and feeling more ambitious about the future of your organization. (laughs) Sounds like I'm describing some kind of medication. Actually, I think of it as more as an antidote. But either way, there are no nasty side effects. In fact, just quite the opposite. Terrific benefits. And because my guest today started her career in grant writing and fundraising, we'll talk about how to make sure you're in a stronger place to fundraise when this process is complete. Because let's be honest, that's the hope, right? Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at JoanGary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Lindsay Hoffman is a nonprofit consultant whose practice combines organizational development, strategic visioning and planning, program design, and fundraising strategy for a wide range of organizations. She brings to this work a deep commitment to equity, the ability to ask the right question at the right time, strong project management and facilitation skills, strategic insights, and a warmth and generosity of spirit that adds just the right element of joy to every client engagement. 
Both as a staff leader and a consultant, Lindsay has worked with organizations dedicated to human services, public health, early childhood literacy, transportation, small business lending, HIV AIDS and sexual health, domestic violence prevention, and legal organizations working to ensure justice and racial equity for us and our neighbors. Her career started in program design and grant writing, and in total, she's helped organizations attract well over $100 million in resources. Lindsay's a graduate of Dartmouth College with a degree in economics. She now lives in northern Westchester with her partner, Matt, and their dog, Emma, but her heart might still be in Brooklyn, her home, for the past 15 years. This bio speaks truth, and I know because Lindsay is a part of my consulting team. Lindsay Hoffman, this is fun. Thanks for joining me. Hello, Joan. Thank you for having me. So, <laughs> um, Lindsay and I have worked together for a number of years. Uh, and um, so this conversation is going to feel like the two of us having a cup of coffee together, um, even though I'm in New Jersey and she's in uh, northern Westchester. Um, okay, so uh, I teed this up for you, Lindsay. It's not strategic planning. It's strategic visioning. Did you just, were we just branding it differently or is it really different? Is there a simple distinction that helps people understand what this is about? So here is the simplest way I have learned to describe the difference between these two. So whenever you're sitting down for any kind of planning, there's some expectation of change. So ideally, something will be different as a result of your planning, whether it's a dramatic change or a slight readjustment, or maybe even just, you know, you expect to be more confident as a result of, um, you know, you crystallizing all the ideas that have been floating around in your head and your board's head. And so, Joan, I'm going to borrow some of your vocabulary here. <laughs> this, this is a process of taking your organization from A to B. Right. And so here's, here's my simple distinction between strategic visioning or strategic planning and strategic visioning. Strategic planning is when you know exactly what B is and everyone is aligned about what B is. And what you need to do is figure out how to get to B. And so strategic planning is this process of like, okay, how do we pull this off? What are the different strategy paths we might take? Let's research all of the constraints that we're facing. Let's take a look at what resources we have available. Let's you know, evaluate the landscape. Let's investigate others in the field. Um, you know, let's come to some decisions about the best, most efficient, and most excellent path forward. And strategic visioning is for when... <laughs> you're not crystal clear about what B is, or perhaps not everyone is totally aligned about B. Or maybe like there's been, there's a B that's like kind of presumed, but there's something about it that gives you pause. And there's reason to, um, there's work to be done to paint that picture of your future, to paint that vision of your organization or your destination. So strategic visioning is about building that shared vision for that future that feels right. Yep. Um, um, so I, I, so you know I agree with this. And, mm -hmm. and we have 
um, worked together on a couple of projects. I think we actually used to call it strategic planning, didn't we? <laughs> and what we, I think what we realized when we were working with some clients is that they wanted a strategic plan, but that they weren't all clear about where the hell they were going, what they wanted to be, what, what that destination, they, they were in the car and on the road somewhere, but that they weren't quite exactly sure what the destination was um, or not everybody was in the same place about it. And so then we, then we found ourselves talking with them about their, like, who are you? <laughs> who are <Yeah>. you? <laughs> like, yeah. what's your core identity? What ma- like, what matters to you all? And, and those are the conversations that then generate the where do you want to go? Right. Because that's mm-hmm. that's it's not just so strategic visioning as 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 we have sort of crafted it and we don't get to own the copyright on this idea. It's just a way of thinking that's different. Right. Is um, is a, when you actually start to understand that there are deeper questions the organization hasn't really grappled with. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, I'll say I, I'm thinking you have people's attention. So how do you create one? Well, talk us through the through the basics. And, and you know, in my book, um, uh, I have a chapter on strategic planning. And um, I think the chapter is called something like, it's not about the answers, it's actually about the questions. And mm-hmm. I think that the strategic visioning process relies extremely heavily on the power of the question mark. So talk us through the basics of the process, Lindsay, and what the end result actually looks like. So, you know, I think what's most important about this process is that you're allowing yourself to think expansively and ambitiously and without constraints about your future. So if strategic planning is like, you know, figuring out how to how to move forward given restraints, um, strategic visioning is about um, ideating without barriers. And like you said, answering those big core questions that are really key to, to your organization thriving. So like, what's most important to you and your organization? You know, what does the world need from you? Who are your most important constituents? Who will you be loyal to above all else? Um, what are the principles that should guide all of your future decisions? Where, where's the organization headed? What is that vibrant, exciting vision that, um, yeah, that, that inspires your board and inspires you. You can feel it in your bones when you've got it right. So, yeah, I mean, okay, how do, how do we tackle this? And you're right. I mean, we actually did, we came to this organically because, um, I think we were hired to do a couple consulting engagements, um, with the intended deliverable of a strategic plan at the end. And each time it felt premature. Or at least it felt like, yeah, I mean, it felt like a missed opportunity. Um, You have your board um, in a room. You have your whole board and your whole staff's attention. And this is a moment when you can get really clear about your ambitions and build a framework to inform all future decisions and man, like as soon as you get drawn into the weeds, like, yeah, the group seems to miss the big picture. Right. So what is this? The end result, I actually think it looks different for every organization. Um, there is a formula that we did not create. 
Jim Collins created a formula uh, for a strategic vision. And um, he, he did this back in 96. I'm not sure he's ever incorporated this into any of his books, but he wrote a Harvard Business Review article about it that um, has been, you know, the seminal article on strategic visioning ever since. And he breaks out a strategic vision into two elements. The first is nailing down your core ideology. This is like who you are as an organization. What are your values? What is your identity? What are your super strengths that you need to hold on to no matter what? And the second component of this is your envisioned future. And, and this is where he, I, I believe he first coins the term um, uh, big, hairy, audacious goal, right. your BHAG. But it, okay, so in like in 10, 20, and 30 years, what magnificent achievements will bring you glory and pride? Like where, where are you aiming? How will the world be different if you achieve your wildest dreams? And so that's, yeah, that's his formula. I do think that for a lot of organizations, um, they're craving even more than this from this process. But even if all you do is um, spend some time with your board and staff, nailing down your core values, talking about why you exist, what your fundamental purpose is, and ideating about, okay, like, what could your big, hairy, audacious goal be? That process of ideating and talking like reflecting on your ideas, interrogating them, pulling them apart, piecing them back together. Yeah, that's it. That's the process. So, uh, so, so let me ask you a question. I'm going to uh, pretend I'm a listener. Um, actually, I am a listener, so I don't have to pretend. Um, values. So I could, I could be listening to this and say, Lindsay, I, it kind of sounds a little woo-woo to me, right? Is... I need a strategic plan. I got to send one to a funder. And, and you're telling me I, I need to, I need to come up with a list of values. Like, what do you mean? What, why does, why does a value, why do values matter, Lindsay? I know. I actually, I think the same thing <laughs> every time, every time I, I have to um, reconvince myself that, okay, let's, we should do this exercise. And every time it is so, um, enlightening and energizing and um, and grounding for for the board and the staff involved. Should we use a, Should we should we bring this to life with an example? Do you think? And, uh, and I don't. Maybe you want to talk about it more abstractly first. But I think it would be helpful to an example of some work that you have done or that we've done together where the values emerged and they they were kind of significant and instrumental in building the sort of the vision. I mean, we, yeah, could, that, we, you could, know what, I'm, we could talk about, so let's see, we could talk about the Leslie Lohman Art Museum. Um, we could talk about what we're doing with Free Mom Hugs at the moment. But like the Leslie Lohman Museum um, is an LGBT art museum uh, in Manhattan, and if I if I'm remembering this right, and you'll tell me, Lindsay, um, that one of the things we 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 got the group to really embrace is that one of their values was the power of being radical. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that its start, its origin story was around being radical and that you define that that evolves and changes over the life, over decades, over time. It means something different, but they value that. And that actually having that value helped the person, the, the, the curator and the executive director make choices about what exhibits they would um, they would bring in. I mean, that's just one example, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they always wanted to embrace the fact that they did what they did was radical, and that that was very distinctive from any other any other kind of museum that had a particular LGBT exhibit, etc. That they were, you know, that it was all about. LGBT art, and it was all about radical. Just, I mean, I'm I'm oversimplifying, but that's just one example of a value. And, you know, for that process, it was not easy to come to that value. You know, like it's a, it's a process of talking things out and, and, uh, you know, in fact, I think this works for a lot of organizations. This process involves going back to your origins and thinking about the values of the folks that founded your institution and thinking about how you felt about it at the very beginning. You know, where did that initial adrenaline come from? And it's often not about what you're doing at any one moment, but what you're feeling, mm-hmm. why you're doing it, and, and what the values are that are driving you. And so that's the process of talking through that. You know, we met with Leslie Lohman Museum countless times before we landed on this, yeah, this word and this this value about being radical. And it really will serve them as a guiding principle for all of their strategy decisions going forward. Right. It gave a, a bright green light to the executive director, to the curators, to everyone working on their programs about what they should be striving for. And... Um, Man, it was, I mean, that alone was so much more powerful than any, uh, you know. Any work any, plan like, with with a bunch of KPIs, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. And, and, and don't you think that that um, what's valuable about this, uh, this process is it forces you to confront the big questions. You can't, you, you can't ignore them. Um you just you just can't ignore them because well first of all you just can't ignore them but somehow another strategic planning the way it is currently designed it can it can actually um you could you can get away with doing it without actually really investigating oh you can jump into those weeds you can you can you can weave uh <laughs> Yeah, you can weave wreaths and you can uh, plant more weeds and you can um, develop a lot of KPIs around weeds. And um, and honestly, I think that it it ends up being so rigid and um, and constraining. And it it also assumes that you have um, it reduces how nimble you can be in the future. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. That's a very good point. But at the same time, I'm thinking people are listening and saying, okay, so I end up with a vision. I end up with values. I end up with guiding principles. Is that enough? And if I am beholden and, you know, I really do not like thinking this way, but I'm beholden to a, I got to attach a copy of my strategy to the, you know, blah, blah, blah foundation 
Like, aren't, aren't they going to think that that's pretty um, uh, abstract? We uh, maybe weak. Like, so I, and, and I I understand as you and I have to, have talked about it a bunch of times. The guiding principles become guardrails, right? You make decisions about what you do during the lifespan of that plan, right? Between now and whatever the period of time is, using those guiding principles and those values as guardrails. But um, that can't be, that can't be all, right? Well, yeah, I mean, strategic planning can't be abandoned. I mean, what would, what would Dwight Eisenhower say? (laughs) Like, you know, decisions about strategy are going to arise constantly. You know, there are dozens of decisions every year that need to be made. Um, And big ones that require a lot of research, a lot of expertise, a lot of scenario planning. I guess, I guess part of why I'm distinguishing between strategic visioning and strategic planning is that a lot of those decisions that would fall, that would be tackled by strategic planning. You know, for example, um, do we want to expand into a second location in another state? Those questions and those challenges are not well tackled at a day-long retreat for your board and staff, say. Like that that traditional strategic planning process doesn't work well to reach smart strategy decisions. Mm-hmm. And if what you're seeking to do is actually convene your board and your staff in a generative process that gets everyone aligned, gets everyone psyched about the future, you know, strategic visioning is is a process that you want to, to use that once you're done, once you have, you know, what Jim Collins describes as the core ideology and your envisioned future. And, you know, you have a few pages of, um, of words that capture this. Um, and hopefully everyone is aligned, like everyone is breathing this, you know, everyone is feeling it. That's when the conversation turns to like, okay, what are the implications of this? Mm-hmm. And, and that's when you start to transition yourself into strategic planning. Like, you know, some sense of priorities will begin to emerge. Some sense of, okay, implications. If we're, if we're going to be, if radical is going to be our core value, you know, for our curation of our museum for the next few years, like, what does that mean in terms of hiring decisions? What does that mean in terms of um, acquisitions? You're going to also develop a sense for what opportunities and what threats to look into and what areas of the landscape to investigate more. Like very naturally, you know, your hunger for legitimate strategic planning will begin. You'll get a sense for what kinds of strategies actually need to be developed and also who should be involved in developing those strategies because it's probably not the whole board all at once in one right. day long retreat. And and you'll allow for delegation and you'll allow for a mo- more fluid conversation as the year goes on. Now, when a foundation asks you to attach your strategic plan, like, I don't know, there's something, you, there's always something you can cobble together. <laughs> but, like, but, I, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that what you're, so what you, you know, I, let, let's talk about um, what, you know, in strategic visioning, what the sort of the deliverable is. Because one of the things that, that you know, we don't just say, you know, when we've done this work and Lindsay, it, it, does it in her own practice as well is you've got this vision, you've got these core values, got these guiding principles, and you work to get all your key stakeholders aligned around it. 
and you actually build it out of stakeholder interviews and lots and lots of discussions. Um, and uh, I think we have found that um, there's just a lot of personality dynamics and, you know, sort of change management things that come into play. But then at the end of this process, there's a series of, as 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 Lindsay says, implications that if you're going to go in this direction, uh, you might, you, you have to look at your current structure. You're probably going to need to have a structure that looks like X instead of Y. And that might cost you X amount of money. You might need to think about, you You probably don't need this, you might not need this program, but you might need to expand in this area. And so the document comes with implications and then a series of recommendations about how to actually do what what I think of more as the work plan, mm-hmm. right? What do I need to tackle in what order over what period of time in order to begin the path and the journey towards that vision? Is that a, is that a fair assessment of what the sort of the output looks like? So when you're finished with one of these projects, people have a pretty clear roadmap of the planning work that they have to do. And, the, and it's rooted in an exciting and aspirational vision, thereby making the planning not as onerous. Do you, would, you, would, you, would you agree with that conceptually? Oh, exactly. And, you know, that, you know, the implications and the work plan for the, for the planning ahead, you know, it looks different for every organization, depending on what arises during these conversations. But, um, but you'll what you'll be doing essentially is empowering individuals, you know, on your staff and board to, yeah, to run with this. You know, they, everyone's on the same, everyone is facing the same direction. And at that point, um, yeah, you can have a task force that looks into um, how to revamp your IT system so Mm -hmm. that it, helps you make the most of, you know, your large constituency and improve communication across, the, you know, your, your entire ecosystem. You'll, yeah, you'll have a sense for what is most important to live up to those values, to live up to this fundamental purpose and to inch your way towards this, uh, this BHAG. Yep. Um, tell, um, uh, talk a little bit about how this kind of process helps you fundraise, right? Um, if a primary reason for the planning is to help you and your board and staff to fundraise, right? Is, is, yeah, what's the, what's the secret sauce around strategic visioning that helps you to fundraise? Well, I know that a lot of organizations, you know, embark on the strategic plan, hoping that it'll be the work plan and the KPIs that spark fundraising. And I think part of that is because Boards want to think that fundraising is like a computer program. <laughs> like if you just like line up all of your ducks in the right order, it'll just happen for you. Or like there's a just an algorithm that can like turn the switch on. Um, but absolutely, I mean, no member of any board has ever like committed to memory a page of your strategic plan. Like right. it's just not, or like, or, or like wants to talk about it to others. And so, so honestly, you know, an, an energizing strategic visioning process leaves everyone with 
fodder for conversation. It leaves everyone with like enthusiasm. It leaves everyone with like a few, um, a few phrases even, you know, or, or perhaps, you know, or perhaps full sentences <laughs> about what, about what your organization is, why it's powerful, what its super strengths are and where it's headed. And that, I mean, that is the fuel for fundraising. You bet. Like, I mean, detailed planning is necessary. Certainly, like, you're not going to launch a capital campaign uh, to fund a new building without some serious strategic planning and some serious analysis. Um, uh, but, and, you know, development planning, like, the, you know, the specifics of actually fundraising and developing a fundraising strategy. Um, we can talk about that on another podcast, Joan. I guess I do without a lot of that also, but, but it is, yeah, it is the, it's the conversation and the team building and the alignment from strategic visioning that is, yeah, that is the fuel for fundraising. During COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. It's it's so interesting to me, Lindsay, that um, I have asked people, tell me about your strategy and how you, you know, how you use it to market the organization's future, how you use it to secure multi-year gifts. And, I, you know, I have people that look at me like I I have landed from some other planet um, that done well and right. And what we're describing here is a process where there's an alignment around something aspirational and distinctive. You're actually handing your lead ambassadors, your board members, your senior staff, you're handing them a story to tell about where this organization is going. And um, I happen to be a huge fan of multi-year gifts so that I can then just continue to tell my donors how the journey is progressing rather than having to sort of re-up them. And that it should be at its best a marketing tool for telling the world why you're important and where you see point B being and energizing them to say, I like B, I really like B, I think that's exactly where you all should go and how can I help? And I, I, do, I just don't think that people think about strategy work in that way and it's, it's like it's the secret sauce, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of organizations are are moving very quickly and they forget that, um, I don't know, that it's been a while since they talked to their board and staff about what matters most. And there are also, you know, there are a lot of legitimate, you know, stresses about, you know, operational questions and you know, big decisions that arise and you're not sure, you know, how to make them. And so I think that, um, I think part of why strategic visioning is so necessary for so many organizations is that they just, you know, there's, 
there's just not time to incorporate it into your day-to-day or you might forget. And so um, it, this is a process of recentering everyone and making sure you really are, you know, yeah, you share the same foundation, you're pointing in the same direction. And um, yeah, and you're ready to like, as a group, dig deeper. Um, you want to talk a little bit about appreciative inquiry concepts that have informed, have informed this approach to strategic visioning? And maybe sort of define appreciative inquiry just in case someone listening doesn't sort of understand, doesn't, isn't familiar with the concept. Yeah, so so um, appreciative inquiry is um, it's a concept that was introduced in the '80s, and and at this point, you know, there's a center for appreciative inquiry, and there's a certification in appreciative inquiry, and and what this is, it's, it's a mindset and and also a process for planning and for change management that is rooted in very basically like a keeping a positive perspective. And so, you know, I think a lot of nonprofit leaders, like, oh, there are a lot of reasons to be stressed. And it's, it's very easy to approach these processes um, from a sense of scarcity. Like how right. will we possibly, um, how are we going to make it through the year, given our cash flow situation? Like how, um, how are we going to achieve our goals on limited resources? And there's this tendency to start problem solving about, okay, so, you know, yeah, how can we be most efficient? How can we um, leverage the little that we have? And there's a time for that. But when it comes to this group strategic visioning, we're really, I don't know, a lot of kinds of planning. It is so much more productive and so much better for your team if you start from a place of literally appreciation. So, so what that means for this process, you know, we actually, um, one of the questions that we ask almost everyone involved in an organization at the start of an engagement is, okay, why do you love this place? Like, why did you, why did you get involved? Um, and can you name a moment when this was most magical for you? And can you name a moment, an experience you had with the organization where you said, oh, wow, this is cool. I get it. Like, this is, this is why it all works. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing. Like, you know, first of all, like how many people like, you know, have forgotten those moments or have right. forgotten what it felt like to just love on the organization and, and be in all of what's possible. Um, starting there is, is effective partly because what are the most important important rules of thumb about these planning process is that you do not want to lose that. Like whatever it was that made people feel, Oh, this is magical. You want to hold onto that. You want to like nurture that little kindling and um, yeah, keep that flame, you know, and the next stage of appreciative inquiry is actually, you know, investigating. Okay. So like, how do we keep that flame going? How do Mm -hmm. we, what does the future look like if we can, um, if we can hold on to what's best about us. So you're not, you don't bother yourself with thinking about the issues and the challenges, but you focus on what's working and how can we keep it working and make it work even better and, and, and uh, explode. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe what, why, why is strategic planning depleting? 
Why is strategic visioning energizing from what we have seen? It seems to me what Lindsay just described is what is is really the, if you'll excuse the pun, the heart of the matter is that strategic planning is a process um, that sort of squeezes the heart out of what's going on. And um, in a strategic visioning process, you're actually, you're tapping into the, the heart component of the work in a way that's powerful, um, powerful and energizing. And I, and I think that, um, I feel like that's really, um, and by tapping and really appreciating what's magical about the organization, it, it really stay with us on this. This is not a woo-woo thing. And I want to also say that people love talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Board yeah. members love talking about this stuff, right? And no, they don't typically have time because they're so busy looking at the monthly financial statements or doing some other stuff that actually depletes their energy, right? There are three levels of governance, right? Three levels of operating as a board, fiduciary, strategic, and generative. And the amount of time that boards of directors of nonprofits spend in the generative space is teeny weeny. That's a technical term, teeny weeny. And it is the space in which a board member can live that will actually completely light them up like a Roman candle and will make the other tasks that they do absolutely just, just, Easy, just easy and and manageable because they have their they, because they've they've been they've been lit up. Um, so we're talking with Lindsay Hoffman, who's a nonprofit consultant whose practice combines organizational development, strategic visioning, and planning, program design, fundraising strategy for a wide range of organizations. And um, she and I have worked together on bunches and bunches of projects over the last four or five years. Um, Here's a question for you, Lindsay. Um, uh, I, a, lot of, a lot of folks come your way saying, can you help me fundraise? I need a development plan. And so I'm thinking of one particular client that you, actually you and I are currently working on together where they said, help us fundraise. We need a development plan. And you actually figured out pretty early on that the reason that they were, you know, either the reason that an organization is having trouble fundraising or the reason that they come looking for a plan is because they're actually not clear on the vision. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, so I guess the first question I have is, is, is riddle me this, Batwoman, which is how do you, what do you do with a, with a client who comes your way and say, I want a development plan, and you spend some time with them and you realize, hmm, okay they don't actually really have a destination B or they're not at all in the same place. Does, do you, can you still do a development plan for them? <laughs> I've been trying, actually. <laughs> it, I mean, you have, it only works if they're committed to, um, yeah, for, to doing strategic visioning in parallel because right. ultimately, I mean, yeah, you need to know what you're fundraising for. Everyone right. needs to be enthusiastic about what you're fundraising for. Like what, you know, and you don't even need to get into specifics about exactly where every dollar will go. But um, just like, why? Why are we asking for money in general? What are we hoping to achieve with this? If if there's conflict about that, then I mean, or if there's just, you know, real, real fuzziness, um, the development plan is kind of beside the point. I mean, there's a certain amount of work that can be done just to, you know, teach organizations the basics of, 
know how you approach um, individual giving and how you approach foundations and um, and the kind of infrastructure you need to pull that off and the steps towards building that infrastructure. And so, I mean, that's what I'm doing with this particular client is is laying out that timeline so that it can hopefully all come together <laughs> so that they're ready to go as soon as uh, they figure out what they want to raise money for. So I want to give one more example before we wrap up. Um, we actually got permission from a small and very mighty organization called Free Mom Hugs in Oklahoma City, a client that Lindsay and I are working with together. This organization is a great example of what you talked about in terms of origin story, holding the clues about future vision. So the origin story uh, I, I can do, you know, the origin story is a, a, you know, a woman whose deep Christian beliefs precluded her from accepting her gay son. And she went on a journey. And um, when she was, had made her way through that journey and accepted her son, um, she became someone who really wanted to celebrate her son. So she went to a pride march and she makes this button and it says free mom hugs. And this is it. It's the whole story, right? And she just, then clearly this was pre-pandemic, right? And so she starts... Well, people just start coming up to her, asking for a hug. And a young woman comes up to her and they hug. And the woman says, I haven't um, hugged my mother in four years. It, some of this went viral. And now today, <laughs> um, Free Mom Hugs is, is securing uh, funding. <laughs> and there are 80,000 people who are just, their hands are up saying, Tell me what to do. I want in. What you're doing matters, right? And we've been spending time with them really trying to tie a vision, right? And there's such a, and maybe you, you find this with other clients too, but there's, there's such a draw to say, I need to, we need to do a bunch of things and we need to build a big thing and wow, we're getting money and so we need to get more money, right? But there's a simplicity to that origin story. And so we spent some time, to tell them real, if you would, just real briefly about, so we said, okay, let's pause this development planning stuff and let's do some, so at least, you know, a sort of Reader's Digest condensed version of strategic visioning. And we brought them all together uh, on Zoom, of course. Um, so yes, an organization that hugs can't hug. I got that. And what did we, what did we tease out of them in that conversation? Just to, just to give people a little bite, what did, you, what did we tease out of the board and staff that night on that call and and just a snapshot of where that's where we're sort of recommending and sort of pointing them towards if you could do that just in a couple of minutes I think it'd be really interesting for people to hear free mom hugs is actually a great example partly because they made our job as consultants so easy you know as is the case with a lot of organizations we're not providing recommendations so much as we're just playing back to them what we've heard and helping them to see it and document it and solidify it. And very often, you know, if by hearing yourselves, you know, the answers just jump out. And so you asked me about this specific conversation. 
with the full board of free mom hugs. And, you know, we had 15 people at the table and this started as a conversation about what's most magical about free mom hugs. You know, what was the moment when this really um, clicked for you? And that soon turned into a conversation about how transformational hugs are. So with each hug, you know, it's not just about the physical contact, it's about the gesture, it's a sentiment. It's sometimes about the eye contact between people. In fact, um, there was one board member who, uh, she told a story, she, she talked about how she hates hugging. She's on the board of Free Mom Hugs, but she actually happens to hate hugging. She doesn't want to touch anyone. She doesn't want anyone to touch her. Like, I kind of get it. Um, but she loves, she loves free mom hugs. And she, um, she talked about how uh, it was this moment where she saw Sarah Cunningham, the founder, make extended eye contact with um, someone at a pride parade. So, you know, as a child who had been um, rejected by her parents for being gay, and Sarah hugged her, but she also held eye contact with this child. And for this board member, like that was what hugging was about. So anyway, so so it was a it was a really lovely conversation. It was a you know we talked for forty five minutes about hugging, um, and then we transitioned to like okay, what does this mean tangibly? Like what what does this mean for your strategic plan? Uh, and and how okay, one next step might be to explore alternatives to in person physical hugging, and this is something that they're already doing but there's reason to lean into it after the pandemic, you know, even after it's possible to hug folks in person. And this is a great example because it's, you know, there was so much value in that conversation about hugging and the values embedded in hugging. And like you said, this is not the kind of conversation that boards have very often. These conversations might feel very woo-woo to begin with, but I know we find that they always lead to very tangible conclusions about strategy and about where your priorities lie and about where to invest your time and money. So we're really out of time. Um, and what I, so I wanted to say, thank you, Lindsay. I, I think that being able to present some alternative methodology is really important so that we can start to shift the mindset of people for whom strategic planning feels like a depleting kind of activity when it can, in fact, be the most energizing work an organization does. And um, I, you know how much I appreciate who you are and how well you work and how generous you are with clients. And I hope that um, uh, that people really heard that in the discussion that we had today. So I just wanted to say thanks, as always, for kind of being generous with your insights, um, both with our clients and with our listeners today. Oh, Joan, I love strategic visioning alongside of you. <laughs> and I love talking about it with you. Yeah, like always. Ditto, ditto. So um, that's us for today. Um, and I hope that it uh, opened your eyes to some different kinds of possibilities around what strategy means. And, and I hope that you heard that this is an opportunity to engage your board and fuel them. This is not an extra task. This is the exciting stuff board members don't get to do enough of. Um, and 
Um, so bring them in, partner with them, and, you know, ask some of these generative questions to start at a board retreat and get them fired up about thinking about possibility. And then maybe, you know, that that can create an appetite and uh, an appetite for the kind of work that Lindsay's been talking about today. So um, hoping that sticks with you, um, hoping that um, that you're safe and as always, thank you so much for the work that you do and um, for um, letting me share some of my favorite people with you. So until next time, take good care, stay safe. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.